0: Oh, He's great and greatly to be praised. He's worthy of our great praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, Happy New Year to you. It's hard to believe that we've stepped into a new season. And you know, the Bible is clear that He operates in cycles and seasons. And for some of you here... This is the beginning of a brand new season as we step into 2019, and I'm believing God for great things. Does anybody have faith for God to do some new things, some exciting things, some unexpected things perhaps? Uh, I don't really enjoy surprises from people, but I will tell you that I, I like it when God surprises me. Because his plans are better than my plans. I mean, know that his ways are bigger than your ways and, and he's got good thoughts for you this year. And I believe that I want to direct your attention to Second Timothy, chapter two and verse number twenty two. My title tonight, I'm just going to give it to you right up front. My title is straight from Second Timothy to flee youthful lusts, flee youthful lusts, and we're going to look at that a little little closer than just that title, but let me tell you why I feel the Lord dealing with me for this particular lesson right at the beginning of a new year. I have become convinced in prayer and in fasting that the Atlanta, Georgia, the city proper of Atlanta, Georgia, and also the surrounding suburbs wrestle with a a spirit, a strong man, a stronghold, a demonic stronghold that is a spirit of lust in many ways. And I believe that apostolic tabernacle should charge into the new year full of the Holy Ghost, rebuking the spirit that is trying to devour the people of our communities. And I don't believe that as a church we should be intimidated by it, but I do think we should be aware of it. And I think we should make sure it's not in our church. And then I think we should drive it out of our cities and our neighborhoods. What do you say? What do you say we go on offense in 2019 and we don't need to play defense all year long. We need to have a Holy Ghost offensive against the strongholds of the enemy. So we're going to talk about what it looks like tonight. And then a little later this month, we'll be talking about how to go on the offense. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, flee also youthful lusts, but Follow righteousness, and one said righteousness, faith, charity, that's agape love, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Let's put our Bibles down. Why don't we just lift our hands very quickly and ask the Lord to, to just talk to us for a while. God, in your name, I pray that you'd minister to us. I pray that we would feel the unction of the Holy Ghost as we study your word, as we endeavor to follow righteousness and flee from everything that is displeasing to you, O God. Let us be right. Let us be pure. Let us be holy. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The biblical meaning of the word lust, at least here in in Timothy, is a longing for something that is forbidden, a strong desire for something that is unrighteous. And we automatically associate the word lust with certain kinds of sins, uh, and as we should, but a person can lust after all kinds of things. For example, an individual can lust after money, uh, and manifestations of lust for money. Uh, are things like gambling, the lottery, stealing, cheating, uh, hurting others for money, being stingy, refusal to give. And if you value money above godly things, then you have an issue with lusting after money. Many people do not pay their tithes and they never give offerings because they love money. They have a lust for money. And they'll give God a lot of things, but they will not give God of their finances. It's also possible to lust after fame. And when I say fame, I don't just mean worldwide fame or, or even national fame. Some people just want to be famous in their city or in their social circle. They, they desire that and they lust after that. It's a spirit of pride. And that desire causes them to do ungodly things because they are lusting after fame. Others lust after power. Uh, many men lust after power in particular. And and so it's not always just political power or secular power, but there are people who lust after power even in the church. And they lust after power in their family. They lust after power in their job and Power becomes something they're obsessed with and this lust can cause them to mistreat people and lie and cheat and do all kinds of things that they would not otherwise do because they're lusting for power. Some people lust after revenge. Revenge can be uh, something that people become obsessed with and, and this is connected to hatred and unforgiveness and it can ravage your soul and destroy your mind. Many people even in the church today lust after worldliness and carnality they lust after alcohol and substance abuse and drugs and the party life and and after style and acceptance and many people have lost their soul because they lusted after being accepted by the world when they should have been desiring to be pleasing unto God and when you lust after worldly things and When you lust after things that cause temporary pleasure at the expense of your righteousness, you are in a very dangerous place. Others lust after materialism, simply things, stuff, houses, cars, toys, all the things that bring fleeting moments of happiness, but they are not truly fulfilling, and so they lose sight of what's really important. And of course, the word lust that we typically associate with the things that, uh, like immorality, depravity, and sexual immorality. People lust after these things in their hearts. That's why pornography is a multi-billion dollar business today. Movies that are dirty, and books, and magazines, and people lust after uh, co-workers, and they lust after movie stars, and things that they should not allow into their hearts. And let me just pause right now and preach to the church for a second, and say that we have no business lusting after things of the flesh, that we have to make sure our hearts and our minds are where God wants it to be. Lust is a dangerous thing. And the problem with lust is that many people struggle with it silently, and no one knows that they are dealing with a deadly sin inside of their spirit. There are people in this room right now, You would not expect it, but they are struggling with lust in one area or another. And that's why some of us are kind of tense right now because nobody wants to shake their head too much because nobody wants to be noticed when we start talking about these kinds of things. But I want you to understand that the church has an obligation to stand up and speak out against the lust of the flesh and the the youthful lust that come against church people. Lust is no respecter of persons, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, it doesn't matter, Christian, secular, atheist, whatever it is, lust will find a way to try to creep into your spirit, into your heart, and into your mindset. And the church must understand that we cannot entertain lust, we can't play with lust. We can't look down at it and say it's just no big deal. We must run from it just as Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. Lust is something that needs to be run away from. It should never be played with or entertained. And the problem with many people today is that they think that they can handle a little lust. And they think they can play with a little bit of fire. And the fire will not burn them And in the end, they will gain control over the lust of the flesh. My friend, if you play with lust, if you do not get control of your mind, sir, your mind will take control of you. If you don't take control of your thought life, your thought life will take control of you. This is good preaching. I know nobody wants to hear it. If you don't take control of your thoughts, your thoughts will take control of your actions eventually. And so lust. Cannot be allowed to linger in your life. Now, uh, I realized that, that Paul was training Timothy, who was a young preacher. And so he mentions youthful lusts. And if we're not careful, we'll mistakenly believe that this scripture is only relevant to young people. But even elders can fall into the trap of youthful lusts. King David was... About 50 years old when he sinned with Bathsheba. You don't have to be young to have youthful lusts. In fact, the longer a person allows lusts to grow in their minds, the more likely they are to sin. That's why you often see uh, in uh, worldly situations where a man grows older, he goes through a midlife crisis, and he loses his mind. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Why? They had a thought life that they allowed to fester until one day it raged out of control. It's not unique to men. Women do it as well. But lust is kind of like that, that thing that kind of goes unnoticed in someone's life until suddenly it just surfaces. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I got in my car and uh, it was very uh, humid, not hot, but humid. And it had been all day. And, and the minute I opened the door to my car, a, an odor almost knocked me out. I almost passed out from, from the smell. It was powerful. And uh, so I, I looked around. I couldn't figure out what in the world is causing that horrible smell. And I'm just going to tell you, when you start trying to drive with an odor like that, I mean, my eyes were watering. I couldn't find what it was. And uh, literally, I'm driving and my eyes are watering and I'm sneezing and I'm coughing and uh, thinking, I cannot take this. And so I I pulled over and I went to a gas station and I took everything out of my car. Anyone ever had to do anything like this before? I pulled everything out of my car and could not figure out what the problem was. And then uh, finally, I reached my hand way, 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 way down under my seat. It's not as bad as you think it's going to be. Pastors afraid. I mean, it, was, it smelled awful. But I, I reached under and I felt a cup that I did not realize was there. And it was a sippy cup. Glory to God. And it was full of milk. Or at least it had been milk. Now it was some kind of. Well, you understand. It wasn't milk anymore. And, and if you thought the odor was bad smelling it from up high, when I got that sippy cup up close to my face, I really did almost pass out. And there is no telling how long that, that milk had been under that seat. I have no idea how it got there. I don't know whose it is. I'm assuming it was Jackson or Judah's or Kinsley's. I just don't know. It was it was somebody's sippy cup, uh, and it had festered a long time. Now, if I'm honest with myself, I can go back and remember that I had started to notice a little bit of an odor a few weeks before, but gradually I became used to that, but something changed in the atmosphere. I don't know, Brother Dan, if it was the barometric pressure or the humidity or what it was, but Something about the atmosphere caused that to just really go extra bad overnight, and then it just was overwhelming. You know, that's how lust can be. It sort of seems like a nagging, lingering, no big deal kind of thing. But if you don't look for the source of the problem and deal with it, there will come an incident in your life where something in the atmosphere changes. For David, it was an atmosphere of being uh, in a place that he shouldn't have been when he should have been at war with the rest of his men, and he certainly shouldn't have been just playing around out on the roof, and then he's noticing things that he shouldn't have seen, and then the atmosphere became unbearable. And it's just like that stench that seems like just a small thing, and then almost overnight it just becomes something that almost knocks you out. That's how lust can be if you, if you let it linger in your life. It just grows into something and many times it intensifies drastically and very, very quickly. And so you have to deal with it. And so Paul understood this and he's, and he's teaching a preacher. Because preachers and ministers and seasoned saints and elders and people who serve God for 50 years are no exception to the reality that we must constantly have the mindset that I am going to flee youthful us I'm going to stay away from these things. And not only am I going to stay away, when I see them, I'm going to run as fast as I can. And so it's important that we grow this mindset in our lives. Now, I don't want to go any further without looking at the very next verse from our text. Let's look at 2 Timothy 2.23. Uh, it's, uh, it's on the screen. You can go back one. It's on that, that very... There you go. On that first one. It says, but foolish... Someone said foolish. Now, I think we understand what foolish means. The uh, the original there actually uh, lends itself, I think, in English, to our understanding, a, a little better to the word trivial. Trivial. Or foolish, trivial, unlearned, or ignorant. Huh. I I like ignorant a little better myself, but ignorant questions avoid knowing that they do gender or cause strife, they cause uh, they cause arguments, they cause divisions, they cause fights within the church. He's speaking of the church here, and so uh, we could talk a lot about that, but really, I believe that that Paul is speaking of things that can crop up in our, in our mentality where we start quibbling over little things that don't matter. And, and by looking at the scripture, I'm going to go a little off topic, but this is an important lesson on how we discuss righteousness because in just a moment we're going to talk about following righteousness. How many want to be righteous before God? This is the first lesson, I believe, in talking about how to follow after righteousness righteousness you cannot follow after righteousness if you have a mindset that wants to argue over every small point every time the preacher preaches one little thing that you don't like or it doesn't strike you just right and you want to turn that into a division within the church then you will not be able to follow unity within the body of Christ isn't it amazing how um a community can take something over and take something that seems uh, insignificant and turn it into a symbol for evil. Well, that's what happened in the homosexual community in the 90s, and then that continued uh, into the late 90s, and then that kind of shifted and changed. That's not really the case anymore. And then what happened in in the Apostolic movement is that the first thing a preacher or a minister did when he wanted to show that he was no longer going to stand for holiness or righteousness and he was no longer going to preach Acts 2.38 or preach water baptism in Jesus' name or separation from the world, the first thing he did to show how liberated and cool he was is he ran out and he grew a beard. And that's happening to this day. Many of the young preachers that I went to Bible school with And this is not an exaggeration. Every single one of the ones that I went to Bible school with who backslid and then began to preach false doctrine and go out into the charismatic community or even some of them went into the. uh, I have one uh, guy that I went to Bible school with and and he's a Presbyterian preacher now. And uh, and the first thing that every single one of them did as they were making that transition is they grew a beard as a symbol of their rebellion And so let me just tell you what that means to this church. We are not going to associate ourselves with a symbol of rebellion against holiness, elders, and righteousness. And so we continue to take a cultural stand against beards. Now... uh, That's important to understand and we can say that out loud and some people don't like that, some people do, that's fine. But here's the issue. If every time someone gets up and says something like I'm doing right now and then it becomes a long, bitter, contentious argument, there's an issue in the church. Hello, everybody all right? It becomes an issue in the church. And so if the pulpit, if the man of God is not able to speak conviction and to speak into the culture and to speak into the church and the mindset and take a leadership position without having to fight against division and strife within his own church every single time. The church will never be able to prosper and move forward and have victory against youthful lust. Let me tell you why. Can you imagine if you're in a battlefield somewhere and you have a general or a sergeant Or a major, and you have someone trying to say, listen, you need to go over there, and you need to attack from over there, and and you need to be going over there. And every time you're trying to give an order or a command right in the middle of a battle, everybody in the military starts arguing, well, I don't think that's a good strategy. Everybody okay? Okay. I don't think that's a good strategy. Maybe we should do it this way. I'll tell you what will happen in the military if you do that. You'll be in a lot of trouble. Because there can be no victory if there is no clear voice of guidance on the battlefield. It has to be that way. Now, does that mean that generals are always right? No. Does that mean that sergeants are always right? No. Does that mean that... A pastor is always 100% right. No, it does not. But God has still ordained authority... To where we have to be willing to say, listen, we're going to go into battle together. We're going to listen to the voice that God has put in our lives. And especially when we're under fire, we're going to do what we have to do to work together. And let me tell you, we're living in the last days. We are under fire. Our families are under attack. Our children are under attack. Our grandchildren are under attack. You are under attack. And you won't survive this battle. If you're quibbling over every foolish, unlearned, ignorant question. Yeah. You'll die on the battlefield. And it'll be ignorance. It'll be foolishness. Am I in the Bible? I'm in the Bible. It will be foolishness. Because you wanted to fight over something insignificant. Rather than re- recognizing the bigger picture, that we are in a war and we are fighting for our lives and we're fighting for the lives of our children and our grandchildren, that has to be the priority. That has to be the priority. I am in this thing because I want to be right and pleasing to God. That's what I desire, that's my heart. All right, next slide. I'm moving. So now in 2 Peter, I'm going to take you to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. And this is, we're going to talk about escaping the corruption of lust. Everyone said escaping. I don't believe, I'm not one of these people who believe that you have to live your whole Christian life battling the same lust over and over again. I don't believe that. I know some people... You know, they'll say, you know, once a homosexual, always a homosexual, or, or once an adulterer, always an adulterer, or once a fornicator, always a fornicator, or once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I don't believe that. I believe the power of God, I believe the power of the Holy Ghost can set you free from the pool of lust, whatever it is in your life. And you can't escape that. You don't have to be constantly overwhelmed by that. And so let's look at 2 Peter 1. According as his, Christ Jesus' divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Everyone said godliness. Did everybody see that? He's given us divine power unto all things that have to do with life and godliness praise the lord y'all still don't get it because if you did you'd be you'd be a little more excited he's given us all things that we need that pertains to godliness through here's how through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue did you know god has called you to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these promises ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So through the work of Calvary, through the work of the blood, through the infilling of the Holy Ghost, these are the exceeding precious promises that he's talking about here. It's talking about our salvation. It's talking about the fact that we were buried in the name of Jesus. When you were buried in the name of Jesus, you took on the name of Jesus. You became a child of God. You are now a part of the royal priesthood, and you have the power of God. When you were filled with the Holy Ghost, literally God's spirit came inside of you and endued you with power from on high. These are the exceeding precious promises of God. And when you recognize the power of the promises of God, you don't have to live enslaved to lust. You can overcome it through the power of the Holy Ghost. How many know our weapons are not carnal? Amen. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. All right, next slide. Now, let me move on in in 1 Peter 1, and we're going to go to verse 5. And he he talks about how we, we get it through salvation and we get it through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And then Peter adds what I call faith supplements. Anyone know what a supplement is? Uh, you need, sometimes you need a vitamin. Anybody take vitamin C or vitamin B or vitamin D, something like that? You need a supplement. It doesn't mean that you don't have it. It just means you might need a little more of it. And so Peter talks about some things that you need to add on to what is already working in your life. In verse 5, he says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add or supplement the promises. Put a new addition on the house. That's really what the word here implies. It's it's the same word as adding something to a home or adding something to your life. So add to your faith. Everyone said faith. Add to that virtue. Everyone said virtue. Uh, I think... Um, without going too deep into why that word virtue means excellence so add to your faith excellence and to virtue knowledge and when said knowledge so now when you're you have faith and you're trying to exercise your faith with excellence and virtue and it's not enough to just have excellence but you also need to have knowledge take that knowledge And add temperance. Everyone said self-control. Add self-control to your knowledge. It's not enough just to know what's right. You have to have the self-control to do what's right. And to temperance, patience. Or steadfastness, endurance. And to patience, godliness. Everyone said godliness. How many see the pattern here? You're going to have to take some of these steps... In order to get to godliness. You are not going to make it to godliness without self-control. You're not going to make it to godliness without patience. You're not going to make it to godliness without excellence. You're going to have to add these things in order to walk in godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Everyone said love. By the way, you will not get to love. Without brotherly kindness. It's going to take kindness. How many believe we ought to treat one another with kindness in 2019? We need to, you know, sometimes that takes work. That's a decision that you have to make. I'm going to treat my brothers and my sisters with kindness. Because unless we can start there, we're never going to make it to agape love. For if these things be in you and abound, everyone said abound. In other words, you don't just need a little bit, you need a lot of it. They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many want to know Jesus better? How many want to know more things about God? How many want deeper revelation and greater illumination? It's going to start here. This text we just read, it's all going to start here. Is it really as simple as just being kinder? Yeah. It really is. We're going to start being a little more patient. We're going to start being a little more kind. We're going to stop quibbling about little things that don't matter. And eventually, we're going to start growing in godliness. And that godliness is going to grow us in relationship with one another. That unity is going to bring us in greater relationship with God. And then revelation starts flowing. And then all of a sudden, revival begins to move in a powerful way. Why? Because we have grown in righteousness and godliness. That's how that works. All right, next slide. I'm coming to a close. Let me take you through a progression of how, of how God does things here when it comes to lust. Psalm 81 and verse 10. Psalm 81 and verse 10. And this is a psalm of Asaph. And he goes through three categories of how God operates here. Number one, in the first series of verses, verse 10 through 12, we see that God gave a wicked people up to their own lusts. And that ought to be every lustful person's fear that God would eventually allow you to become what you long to be. Yeah. Because there is a point that if you resist God long enough, He will allow you to be what you want to be in your heart. He will give you up to your own lusts. And here's what God said, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. I'm preaching out of the Old Testament to a New Testament congregation, so let me put it to you this way. God is on the throne. He filled you with the Holy Ghost, and he brought you out of the world. You were buried in his name. And then he said, open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. Hmm. By the way, I feel like that's a little bit of a prophetic uh, touch on the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Anybody see that? Verse 11, but my people would not hearken to my voice. And Israel would none of me. They they wouldn't turn to me. They wouldn't wouldn't call on me. They wouldn't trust me. And so they turned to other things. They turned to idols. They turned to wickedness. Verse 12, so here's what God did. I gave them up unto their own heart's lust. And they walked in their own counsels. I think that describes pretty much the, the world around us. Everywhere you go, you know what you see? People walking in their own counsel. Doing whatever they want to do. What does that mean? God let them be what they wanted to be. God allowed them to be what their heart longed to be. And so, verse 13, God sorrows over rebellious people. He said, oh, that my people had hearkened unto me and Israel had walked in my ways. And then here's what God does for people who love his ways. And this is the part we need to listen to. Verse 14, I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. God brings satisfaction, provision, blessings, victory, and endurance to those who love his ways and flee from carnal lust. How many could testify that that's true tonight just by waving your hand to the Lord and saying, God has provided for me when I pursued after righteousness. Another way we say that famously from the Psalms is, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Sometimes it feels like the righteous have been forsaken. Anybody ever felt forsaken? Can we be honest? I have felt forsaken. Absolutely. There's been times in the dead of night where I said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. But when you look back, you realize that God was working it all together. All along, God had a plan. He was leading you through a wilderness and he was taking you to a promised land. Anybody know that's true? God will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death, but we will fear no evil because he's with us. Does that mean we always feel like he's with us? No, but he's with us. Even when our heart's not sure because our heart's deceitfully wicked, sometimes our heart doesn't feel God like it should. But we just keep on walking after righteousness because we will realize he was there all along. He was with me in the valley when I couldn't see him. When all I could see was the shadow of death, he was there. When all I could see was the problem, he was there. When all I could feel was the pain, he was there. He was there. He was there. He was was with me. He was for me. And in conclusion, James 1 and 12. God gives us something beautiful that is beyond this world. I'm thankful that God is with us in our problems in this world. But I'm also thankful that he is bigger than our problems. And our promises are bigger than earthly problems. Because James 1 and 12, blessed is the man that endureth what? Temptation. For when he has tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. That kind of sounds strange to our ears. It does to me. Maybe we read it too fast, but James said, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Does anybody like being tempted? I don't like being tempted. It's no fun. In fact, sometimes it's frustrating. But when you endure temptation... There's a blessing that comes with that if you endure it the right way, because that trying of your soul, that trying of your faith, it's what leads you to receive the crown of life. Verse 13. Stand with me. I'm closing. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted, listen to this, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The devil made me do it. No, it was your lust. My mama made me do it. It was your lust. Well, that saint, they weren't doing right. No. That's not why you did that. It was your lust. Well, they did me wrong. Maybe they did, but it was your lust that caused you to do that. The preacher didn't make you do it. The saint didn't make you do it. The devil didn't make you do it. God certainly didn't make you do it. It was your own flesh. That's why we've got to crucify it daily over, 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 over again. I'm going to lay my body down a willing sacrifice. That's why Paul said, I present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is finished. Look at your neighbor and say, when it is finished. So when sin first starts... It can look like a party, right? That's why can, you know, sometimes young people look at people who are in sin and look like they're having a good time and they're confused because sometimes in the church we're trained to think that, you know, sin is just something that immediately produces pain. But uh, sin doesn't always produce pain immediately. Sometimes it gives a, a long temporary high, but that high will come down. What goes up must come down. And when it comes to sin, when it comes down, it comes crashing down. It comes down hard. And when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when it's finished, in other words, sin is is almost like a slave master that, that you know, it starts off kind. And then when it gets to the end, it starts beating up its slave. You're a slave to sin. And then it, it finishes with you and it brings death into your life and your spirit. And so then James simply ends with this. After all of that, that's pretty hard. He says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Flee youthful lusts and walk in the spirit. That's what this church needs to do in 2019. We're going to have to put those things aside. We're gonna have to put arguments aside. We're gonna have to put strife aside. We're gonna have to put all of the things that divide us aside. We're going to have to listen to the right voice. We're going to have to accept leadership, and we're going to have to walk in victory because if we can't handle lust in the church, we have no business trying to drive it out of our communities. But I believe we're going to have a move of the Holy Ghost where we can drive everything out of our spirit that shouldn't be there, and then we're going to have revival in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our community, because we have a strong man that must be bound. I wish someone who has the Holy Ghost would lift up your hands and just pray against the strong man of your city your county your neighborhood come on just plead the blood against it lord in the name of jesus i come against the strong man of atlanta i come against his underlings in hampton mcdonough fayetteville oh god griffin lord Conyers, covington Lord, all of these cities, Peachtree City, God, the underlings that are trying to produce lust and trying to produce things not only within the church, but within those that are without you and those that have no voice. God, I pray that the church would be a light. I pray that the church would be full of the Holy Ghost that we would engage in a spiritual warfare that would bind the strong man. God, I pray that you would loose angelic hosts into our city. I pray that you would encompass this church roundabout with angels, oh God, that would guard us from every warring demon, that would come against every unclean spirit. I pray a spirit of holiness would descend upon your people. I pray that a love for righteousness would come upon the hearts of the saints of this church. I pray that we would lay aside strife and lay aside disunity and lay aside bitterness and lay aside backsliding, O God. And I pray you'd give us a heart of worship. I pray that you would give us a heart of praise. I pray, O Lord, that we would hunger after holiness, O God, as we have never hungered before. I pray that young people would recognize that the signs of the times are all around us. Your return is very soon. I pray that we would know that this is not a time to play games because darkness is descending upon the world. And you are the only light that can save us. You are the only path that can bring us to victory and to salvation. And I pray, oh God, that we would have an urgency that matches the hour. I give you praise. I give you praise. I give you praise. Would you worship the Lord right now? Could you open up your mouth? Somebody ought to rebuke the spirit of lust right now. Somebody ought to rebuke the spirit of lasciviousness right now. I rebuke the spirit of pornography right now. I rebuke it right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah. I rebuke the spirit of prostitution right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray against it, O God. I pray that the church would raise up a standard of holiness, a standard of morality, O God. Lord, I come against the spirits that are in our high schools, that are trying to grip young men and young women. I pray against the spirit that is in our colleges, that is trying to grip the minds and the bodies of young adults. I pray, O God, that there would be a spirit of righteousness that would encompass this church, Lord, that we would walk in it, God, that we would walk in it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I pray against the spirit of addiction that is tied to the spirit of promiscuity Lord and I pray God that there would be a revival of people who overcome addictions that drive them to do the unthinkable. I pray this church would know how to engage in a prayer life that would break chains. I pray that saints would stand up and pray until chains begin to fall. I pray that the church would know how to worship until chains of addiction begin to fall I pray oh God that we would not be weary and well doing but that we would have a strength in the spirit oh God in the name of Jesus 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 in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. hallelujah Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody lift up your hands and pray against the spirit of addiction right now. It's in this church. It's in this building right now. Somebody needs to open up your mouth and rebuke it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. hallelujah. Hallelujah 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 E na marata sandala la barata satataya E la baranda si la la boroto sandala la barata satataya E na na moshandala Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Do you know why Herod eventually killed John the Baptist, the greatest prophet? is When he started speaking out against immorality in high places. There's a lot of spirits that will let you do whatever you want until you start speaking out against immorality. But this church is not going to be afraid of Herod or any other demon from hell. We are going to speak out against that which is an abomination to God. And we're going to walk in strength and in holiness of spirit. Let me tell you what I feel we need to do in the Holy Ghost. I believe this prayer meeting needs to continue in our homes. I believe that every person here ought to go to your home tonight and you ought to rebuke every spirit that is trying to infiltrate your home. Because let me promise you something. If a lustful spirit hasn't already made it into your home, and for some of you it already has because you watch it every night, if it's not already there, it's trying to get in. Yeah. What you need to do is go home and plead the blood over your house, over your mind, over your children, over your grandchildren, over your husband, over your wife. Come on, why don't you just go ahead and, and let God know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take authority over my home. I'm going to take authority. The devil has no authority in my dwelling place because I'm a child of God. I am the church. My home is an extension of the church. My home is an extension of the kingdom of God. And I'm not going to allow my home to be taken over by the enemy. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. That includes your car. That includes your job. You need to just take authority over it and say, devil, this isn't yours. I'm a part of the kingdom of God, and this is God's kingdom, and it's not yours. You can't touch it. You can't be in it. You can't be in my radio. You can't be on my phone. No, you can't be in any of these places because I am taking authority and pleading the blood of Jesus, and I'm going to walk in righteousness. Amen. Bow your heads. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would give us an understanding of what we're against in this new year. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be discouraging. I pray, God, that it wouldn't be something that causes us to tremble, but that we would have a righteous indignation at what the devil is trying to do and that we would have a godly confidence and a Holy Ghost boldness that we are able to overcome as long as we keep our eyes open and recognize all the fiery darts of the enemy and know that we've put on the whole armor of God. And no weapon formed against us shall prosper if we are walking in righteousness. Be with us this week. Bring us back. Give us great revival this weekend. In Jesus' name. And everyone said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Turn around to someone and tell them he was a little strong tonight, but it's going to be all right. We're going to make it. We're going to live. We're going to live. God bless you.